You're about to hear my conversation with David Arpin. We tackle the age-old question of growth versus value and really come to the conclusion that that question might not be the right one to ask. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with David Arpin. David is the co-team lead of our Blue Water team. David, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. The reason that I've invited you back is just to get your perspective on what feels like the age-old question with uh, with stock markets, which is growth versus value. Um, we see sometimes that one style rotates, uh, the other style rotates, and it feels like we've been in a bit of the back and forth of that uh, most recently. Love to get your perspective on the whole concept of uh, growth versus value and if you find it a useful way to think about markets. Okay, sure. Um, so, on the, I mean, there's a few pieces to it, right? When you think about the concept of growth versus value, there's sort of the, I would call it the historical growth versus value. And then there's kind of the current way of thinking about it, which is either the uh, the quantitative factor way or the, the index way. And I guess all three of them are sort of very different ways of looking at the world. Um, we think some are more valuable than, than others, to put it mildly. And I, I think I'll probably explain why that's the case. And then really, you know, what we think about it and how we think about it kind of going forward and what we're looking for over this cycle. So, I mean, if you go back and you start with the history side of things, um, you know, all of us who are fundamental investors, we all end up going back to Ben Graham. Uh, ben Graham in the 1920s, 30s and 40s sort of founded the concept of fundamental investing, the idea that you're really looking at companies, you're not just looking at pieces of paper or little, you know, quotes on your screen, there's actually something behind them. And Ben really focused on the idea of intrinsic value, um, which was that you could kind of calculate what a business is worth. I mean, we use something called fair value, but it's a similar idea. And then you want to buy companies with a margin of safety, so you're getting them for less than they're worth. And then finally, really, the value thing came more from the idea, you know, Ben called it um, Mr. Market, which was the idea that the market, it kind of overvalues and undervalues companies over time because it gets right. too excited or it gets too depressed. And then, you know, you want to sell them when everybody's excited and buy them when everyone's depressed. And, you know, you can't really dispute any of that. Um, it, it's just all very common sense kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I would say one of the, the more interesting quotes I ran into in my career was Warren Buffett, who actually sort of did dispute that a little bit. Uh, and he had this great quote, which I'm going to try to get right. It was something like, if I had listened only to Ben, I'd be a whole lot poorer. So, you know, Buffett's kind of hinting that there's a little more going on than, than just the market bouncing around and the pure value stuff. And, and I think what he was kind of working towards was, was Phil Fisher, who was sort of the seminal growth side in the 1950s. And Phil was the guy who really pointed out that compounding is incredibly important over time. So, you know, stocks bounce around, companies bounce around. But the way you make the big bucks over time is just owning businesses that compound relentlessly over decades. And, you know, from our perspective, that's also pretty central to what we're doing. I mean, we're, we really have kind of elements of classical value and elements of classical growth. Um, I think both of them make tons of sense when you invest, so you might as well use them both. 
There's sort of the value versus growth idea, which is what everybody asks us about, you know, whenever you get turns in the market like we've had recently. Um, you know, and what I'd say is if you just sit down and think about the classical views of things, you know, you have Ben Graham kind of saying the market will get carried away at times. Sometimes you can buy stocks really cheap. Sometimes they get too expensive. And you have Phil Fisher saying that you can have great companies and they're, they're going to compound for you for years and years and years. There's no real verses there, right? Um, you sure. know, and I know Buffett and Munger, I mean, one of the classic things they said was it was you want them both. You want to buy great companies that are trading at a discount. So it's not really like the ideas are in, in conflict, particularly. Um, you know, and I guess the only other thing I'd say in the history of it is you're forgiven if you kind of listen to all of this and you think to yourself, like, you know, the 1920s, the 1950s, um, not sure the capital markets are exactly like they were in the 1920s anymore. You know, you've got trillions of dollars flying around out there. You've got all these AI programs. You've got, you know, speech recognition. Every time a company says anything, it's picked up instantly. So things have changed a lot, right? Like back in the beginning, even though, I mean, I'm not that old, but if you go back to the very beginning of my career, if you wanted to find out what was going on with the company and you wanted an annual report, you picked up the phone, you called them, they stuck over an annual report package in the mail and two or three weeks later it showed up and you're all excited you're getting the annual report. And, you know, right. you think about now, I mean, when a 10K or a 10Q is filed with the SEC, within a second, it's been picked apart by all these various AI bots and other programs. So right. what I'd say is the real classical foundational stuff, it's important. You do need to know it. But everybody knows about it, right? And that's kind of the problem with it, right? If you just kind of think the same way everyone else thinks, um, I think we both agree that's not really the, the big key to investment success is doing what everybody else is already doing. So, I mean, sure. that's that's kind of the issue with, with sort of the underlying stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. It all makes sense. We all incorporate it in one way, shape or form or another, but I don't think it's really, it, it really shouldn't be expected to drive massively different performance over time. Great. So, so if that's the case, I mean, and and maybe we should fast forward and hit on some of the other uh, mentions of growth versus value, both quant and factor that you referred to uh, in your opening remarks. But if that's the case, and there's just, I guess there's not as much to be harvested from this idea of value versus growth. Why do you think it's still so dominant in the media and market commentary? Uh, and does that in itself lead into momentum or lead to opportunities to exploit that? So I think it's very dominant for, for a very simple reason, uh, which is because when you look at something like the Russell value or the Russell growth, you go, man, like they perform completely differently. And, you know, last decade growth was wonderful. This decade, you know, everything you're reading suggests it should be a value decade. Two decades ago, it was all value. So, so the, you know, the, the relative performance of those indexes is massively different over time. And it really is. Um, so, I mean, you know, you mentioned the quant and the factor side of things. If you look at the quant world, what they're trying to do is, is really strip out things like countries and strip out things like sectors and get really, really purely at the impact of the styles. And if you talk to them about it, what they'll tell you is that there isn't much over time. Um, from a quant perspective, value and growth is just not really a big deal. I mean, you know, back two or three years ago, I talked to... Uh, McKenzie's main quant provider about it, and I got a complete eye roll. Uh, you know, they basically said, look, people expect us to include them. Uh, it's not something we really take very seriously. Nobody should. Um, has an effect on individual stocks, but for the overall market, it's not a big deal. And, you know, I'm sitting in the same place you are looking at it going, well, I'm looking at the Russell value. I'm looking at the Russell growth. There's massively different performance. So how can it not be a big deal? And the answer was, it's all sectors. 
And, you know, it's like, okay, what do you mean it's all sectors? Well, if you take the Russell value and the Russell growth and you start looking at the sector weights, what you discover is they are massively different. Um, The Russell value is heavily, heavily banks. The Russell growth is heavily, heavily IT stocks. Um, and, you know, I, I up to about three weeks ago, I kind of went, OK, yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, there's obviously a lot more to it than that. And then I actually put up a chart um, just at a moment of kind of curiosity of 20 years of the S&P IT subindex versus Russell growth and then 20 years of the S&P bank index versus Russell value. And they sit right on top of each other. So literally what you're comparing here when you do the index view is you're comparing the IT sector to the bank sector and then you're getting all excited about IT doing well or banks doing well. And like that, I mean, you've been doing this for a while with me, right? So you know the story as well as I do. Go back two decades ago, what happened? Well, we come out of the dot-com bubble. IT completely falls apart. Um, banks did wonderfully because the U.S. housing bubble was expanding. The other thing that tends to be in there a bit is oil as well on the value side. And of course, oil had this great decade where oil went from $11 to $145. So value absolutely ruled. Um, I mean, it ruled the whole decade. And then you came into this decade and we kind of had the opposite, right? You know, the commodity story wasn't looking so good because China was suddenly slowing down, which the market hadn't really expected. Uh, We found shale oil, so we had a lot more oil supply. IT had been absolutely decimated for a decade. Like nobody loved it. So it really was kind of the classic Ben Graham, you know, nobody loves the sector. And then what happened? We had the rollout of cloud. We had a deflationary period. We had the fangs show up. So, you know, growth kind of was wonderful. But if you step away and think about it from a sector standpoint, banks did really well in the 2000s. So did the value index. Growth did really well in the 2010s. So did the growth index. You got to kind of, you know, think about what's going forward. Um, I guess the other piece to talk about is one thing when I thought about that was, you know, you kind of go, okay, but, you know, we all know that IT in the early 2010s was not very, I mean, it was unloved, it was unfollowed, nobody cared about it. So you'd say, gee, that would be a value stock. So why does that not show up when you compare the indexes? I mean, why wasn't there a bunch of IT in the value world? And the answer to that is an index construction problem. Um, so one of the big things that everybody uses to do growth versus value is they use book value. They use price to book. So stocks that are cheap on price to book are value. Stocks that are expensive end up being not value, which means they end up going into growth. So I was kind of looking at that and, you know, you can't help but think to yourself, book value. So physical assets, IT companies do not have book value. They have very little, I mean, they don't build factories, right? They have software programmers. They have very little in the way of physical assets. If you go on the value side, banks have to have a large layer of regulatory capital. They have to. It's necessary. And as a result, they always have a big book value. Oil companies are big physical companies. They also have a big book value. So I kind of went, okay, so what has to happen in terms of price to book for an IT company to be cheap? And what has to happen in terms of price to book for a bank to be expensive? And then let's just take those stock prices that I need and compare them to earnings and see what kind of P-E ratios does a bank become expensive and does an IT company become cheap? And the answer is, I mean, it's almost funny, right? So if you take a bank like JP Morgan and you go, okay, here's my cutoff point. When you get into the top 25% of the market by price to book, you're going to be expensive. It has to trade at 65 times earnings. 
Now, I'm going to tell right. you, J.P. Morgan's <laughs> going to be expensive a long time before 65 times earnings, right? Yeah. The IT side, because there's no book value at all, is even worse. So Microsoft's got to trade down to four times earnings, and Apple has got to trade to two times earnings to be starting wow. to look like it might be getting cheap on book value. Um, there's something wow. wrong here, right? Like I can tell you, if you think about Apple, if Apple's that cheap, it's trading for less than cash on the balance sheet, which is, you know, over here in the real world, like you go to your neighbor and your neighbor goes, I'm going to sell you my house for 5% of what we think it's worth. And then after you buy the house, right. I'm going to leave you this big briefcase full of cash on the kitchen table. And it's going to have more money in it than you paid me. Like we're not cheaper. We're, we're, we're crazy. So what it means is that those indexes, they don't make any sense. What's in them doesn't really make sense. Like you essentially always are going to have banks in value. You're always going to have IT stocks in growth. And you're not really looking at value versus growth at all. The whole book value thing, like, and again, go back to the history, right? When you're Ben Graham or you're Phil Fisher and you're looking at a world which is, is very physical, it's steel companies, it's oil companies, it's car companies. If I can go and I can buy a factory for half of what it costs you to build, that is probably a pretty darn good investment. But here we are, eight right. years later. What does the world look like? We've got software, we've got services, we've got brands, we've got intellectual property, and none of that really is book value oriented. So you, you know, you really kind of have to cut at the world differently. I think if you want to really get at what's cheap, what's value, and what's expensive, um, and just kind of the way it's being done, I don't think really makes a lot of sense at all. Um, you know, I kind of talked about. Um, you know, what we're doing, how we think about it and kind of what's going to happen over the next 10 years, which is like, let's face it, this is what we really care about, right? Like people are excited about the rotation from growth to value, not because, yay, that was a great six months. It's because is that kind of telling us what we should be doing to the cycle for the next three years or five years or seven years or 10 years? Because you can't help but look back at the last cycles and go, you know, there's this story about how the beginning of the cycle is supposed to be value and then it's quality and then it's growth and then it's defensives. But man, when you look back, like it was either all value or all growth for the whole cycle. So if that's going to happen again, I better know about that and I better start positioning accordingly or else it's going to be a pretty, you know, it's going to be a pretty tough 10 years. And, you know, what I'd sure. say to you on that is there's a few things and, you know, I'm not going to give you an answer here because I don't know the answer, although we're, you know, we're certainly picking away at it and trying to figure it out. When you come out of a downturn, the first moves out of a downturn is, is really a mean reversion move. So some parts of the economy always get cheap because they're in trouble. If you think about the COVID downturn, what happened, anything related to travel, anything related to really kind of physical, cyclical, you know, anything that got shut down had a tough time. Meanwhile, defenses did well and everybody piled in to work at home, which means IT. Um, you know, we started to have a recovery. The economy's definitely looking better and the market's just gone and gone back the other direction, which is what it normally does. So it's mean reverted, right? If you look at what's done well in the last six months, areas like energy, banking, semiconductors, transportation, and then what's been the yeah. worst? Well, the worst of the worst has been telecom, utilities, grocery stores, you know, just the really, really basic, boring, stable, steady stuff. And then the other one that's been weird is normally software and IT is actually pro-cyclical. It normally does okay in a recovery. It hasn't done that well. And I think that's just, you know, you had the work at home trade that unwound. I think software, some of it got really, really expensive. Um, you know, some of the new software ideas, and the cloud ideas kind of got carried away in terms of valuation. So a lot of that stuff's kind of come off. The thing is, that's not a cycle. 
I mean, that's six months or whatever it is, nine months, you know, who knows how long it'll run for. The problem is, is you got to figure out what's actually going to happen over the next three, five, seven years. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you that it's actually not hard to figure out. The only problem is you have to be able to see the future a little bit. But um, the core pieces of it are actually really simple. So if you think about how a sector does over five years or seven years or 10 years, the answer is you need to know three numbers. You need to know the valuation at the beginning. You need to know the valuation at the end. And you need to know how fast it's going to grow earnings over that time. If you know those numbers, you can figure out exactly how a sector is going to do. Uh, now, hopefully, you are also sitting here right now and thinking to yourself, what I just told you was change in valuation times the change in earnings growth tells you what the sector is going to do, which means you need Ben Graham and then you multiply it by Phil Fisher. And that's how you get to where you're going, right? Right. So, if you think about it on a sector basis, um, you know, if you want, if I'm going to try to forecast the value index versus the growth index, which is to say the banks versus IT, um, on the IT side, this doesn't look like the early 2000s look. Like, you know, I've invested through that. Dot coms, they fell apart. The companies collapsed. Um, we don't see that at all right now. You know, the, the cloud transition is kind of hitting its stride. We've got 5G coming. We've got AI coming you know, machine learning, like it's all really broadening out. It's pushing into the real economy. Uh, you're seeing electrification heavily. You got the big transition in renewable energy and automation. So there's a lot of real positives on the technology side that should really actually drive growth over this decade. The banking and the energy side, um, oil looks good in the short term. You know, we've talked about this in the past. As you get into the back half of the decade, I think it's going to be really tough um, you've got electrification coming, you've got major climate concerns, and I think you're also getting more and more divestment through ESG. Uh, and all of those, I think, are going to make it a tough area. Yes. Um, banking, you know, if the economy's in okay shape, banks should be in okay shape too. Um, if the yield curve steepens a bit, that'll help. Um, there's going to be some picking away at the edges because of fintech, but so far I haven't seen anything that's too dramatic on the developed markets on that side. So like fundamentally, it's kind of an interesting decade where you sort of feel like IT is looking like it's in pretty good shape and the banking side looks like it's in pretty good shape. So, you know, you think they both do OK. Um, on the valuation side of things, banks are much cheaper than IT stocks. I think IT was pretty expensive coming out of the last cycle. Um, you know, when you compare companies with similar metrics in IT to other sectors, uh, they're often a bit pricier. So I think that's a hint that, you know, IT is going to have a bit of a tougher time on the valuation side. Banks, I think, are in pretty good shape right now. They just don't look all that bad in terms of in terms of price. So, you know, you kind of sit back and you go, you know, the, the 2000s, there was this huge value outperformance. The 2010s, there was huge growth outperformance. I'm not so sure it's so clear cut this decade. It kind of looks like both sectors might actually have a decent run at it. Uh, so there may not be quite the big gap that we had in the last two decades. And I can tell you, if you went back to the 1980s and most of the 1990s, there wasn't a huge gap in performance between the two areas. So this has been more of a recent phenomena. Um, so, I mean, that's that's kind of it. Right. Like and, you know, I'll tell you something else. If you if you just take that framework, beginning valuation, how much it's going to grow, ending valuation, you can apply it to any industry, any sector. Uh, you may be looking across the market. and You're thinking to yourself there's some sectors that are going to do pretty well this decade. Uh, some of the industrial areas, some of the electrification areas, some of the renewable areas. If you can buy them at a decent going in valuation right. and, you know, those things play out, then those will probably be pretty solid places to put money. Um, valuations tend to go up in areas that are working. Uh, that's always been true, right? So, I mean, yeah, like that's, sure. I, I guess that's how we think about it, right? Like both fundamental value and fundamental growth make lots of sense to us. Uh, we use them both. I don't know why you wouldn't. 
Um, are they really the key to the performance day to day in the market? You know, the factor world says no. I think that's probably reasonable. But, you know, more broadly, yeah, there, there's there's definitely something to all this. Um, we've had a big push into cyclicality. I usually think cyclicality and defenses are more important than growth versus value. Uh, and definitely the cyclicals have picked it up here. Right. Uh, you know, will that continue for an extended period of time? Don't know. We'll see. Um, but that's kind of how we think about it. I mean, I think it's all it's all reasonable. It's all important. You kind of have to incorporate it, but you don't want to get too carried away with it at the same time. Yeah, that's wonderful, David. I I, uh, I think you walked through it with uh, with great detail. Um, you've uh, definitely, I think, left the conversation with the sense that growth versus value are um, at least more subtle than people want to admit or, or are largely correlated with sectors and, and this idea of mean reversion. Um, and then also taking us through where you think uh, the next 10 years lie. I, I really appreciate it. I think that was uh, very interesting. Thank you. Absolutely. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 